there are no big situations. Every situation is the same. We determine the size of a situation. This is the Investors and Operators podcast slash vlog, and I'm here with Dana Cavalia, who is the former Director of Strength and Conditioning for the New York Yankees, where he spent 13 years. Today, we're going to be covering his career, some of the habits of quarantine champions, and he also has a book called The Habits of, of a Champion. We're going to be diving deep into this. I think you have 15 habits, uh, but I love because I have a very short-term memory. <laughs> Maybe finding a couple that we can dive into. What is your favorite go-to exercise when you're on the road and you're in the hotel room or you're, you know, your, your quarantine exercise? Like, what is your go-to? Yeah, you know what, for me, the biggest thing is I, I got to, I have a lot of energy. So I have to, I always say, burn my top layer. So, you know, if I'm at a hotel or I'm traveling, just sort of going on the bike for 30 minutes, it's not going to do it. And for years, I thought it would, but I would have so much pent up energy. So for me, I have to do circuit based training. So I'll do a set that involves usually 30 seconds of high intensity conditioning, 30 seconds of, of strengthening, and 30 seconds of core work. And I'll just cycle and rip through that anywhere between 15, 30 minutes, and even upwards of an hour. So like during this quarantine, every day at 11 a.m. to 12, 15, that's what I do Monday through Saturday. And then I take Sunday off because, you know, listen, sitting around, all that energy, we're all high energy, high octane people. We, gotta, we have to burn that energy off or else it starts to swirl, we get anxious, and that's not good for anybody. Well, let's come back to the kind of the, the – habits of quarantine champions in a second, but maybe to kind of rewind a little bit, can you kind of talk about your career as the director of strength and conditioning for the Yankees and just how did you come into the job and just the evolution of you as a professional within that organization? Yeah, so absolutely. Well, listen, what I always tell people is this, and it's fitting for the, you know, the finance nature of this, of this chat. You know, I was basically commissioned to oversee 300 plus million in human capital and human assets. I had to make sure that, that that capital was ready to de be deployed every night at seven o'clock, Monday through Friday, and 1 p.m. on the weekends. And what, what does that mean? I had to make sure that the athletes were physically and mentally prepared and ready to play every single night. So how, how do we do that? You know, for me, it, it started with my own journey and understanding how your psychology and your physiology are directly related. And if they're out of balance, you're going to be out of balance and you're never going to feel comfortable. So I, I, I grew up a, a baseball player myself. I decided to go to college at the University of South Florida down in Tampa. I was a big fan of the team. I decided to leave New York and go to Tampa for school because I knew that there were tremendous opportunities in the field of sports performance. And I started as an intern with the Uni uh, University of South Florida football team. I got a degree in sports medicine and Literally one February, the Yankees came to spring training. I drove up there, my beat-up car. I was still in college at the time. I parked about a mile and a half away. I walk up to the stadium, and I'm taking pictures through a chain-link fence of guys like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Roger Clemens, just unbelievable players, sending those pictures home. And that day, I literally went back to my internship uh, with the football team at USF, and the head coach called me in and said, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, I thought he was about to let me go. And he said, uh, I have an opportunity for you. I just got a call from the coach with the Yankees, and he needs a guy to help him out, you know, uh, in the training room, basically handing out waters, handing out towels, 
and supervising the place while he's out on the field. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, as a matter of fact, I just got back from there and I love the opportunity. And he said, well, you start tomorrow. So literally the next day I drive back up to the field. They throw a credential around my neck with a C for clubhouse and F for field access. Walk me through the clubhouse, throw me in Yankee gear. And next thing you know, I'm in the middle of that field. We were just taking a picture of a day earlier and all the players are around. It was, it was just a crazy transition. And I was 19 years old at the time, which was even crazier. So, so how, how did your career evolve from that with, with the Yankees and what were you doing? What, is, what was the name of the department that you were part of? Yeah, so I, I worked in the strength and conditioning and performance department. So what we were responsible for was making sure those players, again, were physically ready and, and mentally ready to get on the field every single day to play at the highest level. And if they weren't, it would always fall on us. So if a player had aches, pains, injuries, they were too fat. They were too slow. All of that came on us. So we had to make sure that, that we had our players ready to go. And how, I, I big is that, uh, how big is the coaching staff for that department? So when I, when I started, you know, it was myself overseeing the physicality, and we had two athletic trainers that would work with the players when they would sustain an injury. And together, the three of us would all work together. So that was, that was our department at the time. What was, I mean, kind of looking back on those what, 13 years, what would you say are some of the highlights of your career that does not include winning a World Series? Yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say, for me, winning the World Championship was <laughs> amazing in 2009. And being a kid growing up in New York, I would go to all the ticker tape parades, you know, all through high school. You know, we'd miss days of high school to go watch the Yanks you know, go through the city. And, and um, for me, I got a chance to do that, got a key to the city, all, all that. So, so that, without a doubt, was, was amazing. But for, for me, I, I really enjoyed being in a high-performance environment every single day where you couldn't make excuses. Excuses, they were not accepted, right? We had one goal, and the goal was to win. And we did whatever we had to do to help our players win and to win as a team. So, so that's what I loved the most. It's like every day you get up and every day you go to work, you are in the most competitive environment you could be in. You're playing for money. You're, you're playing for big rewards. Um, it's a me versus you competition in a lot of ways. And, and that's what I, I just loved, that environment. And it brings out the best in you. You know, before our call, we were talking a lot about pressure. And that was an environment of pressure every day. And you have a choice. Either let the pressure eat you up or rise and then go into that attack mode and allow the pressure to take you and your team and the players to a different level. And that's what I loved. So the 13 years of your experience with the Yankees is kind of, and all the lessons that you got from that experience is kind of culminated, it seems, in this, in this book, Habits of a Champion. Can, can you kind of walk through maybe some of the key ones out of the 15 habits that you really want people to focus on that you think might have a 80-20 effect? Yeah, no. So whenever I talk about the book, I always say this, you know, when I wrote this book, I wrote the book as a coach that was looking for something, right? So as a coach, we're always trying to find the best resources and the best information to give our people that edge. And when I would read a lot of different books on personal development, self-help, and all that, I would find books that were so classroom-oriented and theory-based 
And then I'd go to work with some of the most high-performing athletes on the planet, and I'd, I'd see a gap between what I was being told and what I was seeing on a day-to-day basis. And I said, I want to write a book that's through a coach's eyes. And that's, that's how I came up with Habits of a Champion. And, you know, one of the habits is never get too high and never get too low. And when you watch a player like Derek Jeter compete, when you watch a player like Mariano Rivera compete, people say, you know, they look like they have ice in their veins. And what is it? What's causing that? And it's they never allow their emotion to dictate their performance. They have an unbelievable ability to manage their emotional state by focusing on the right things, right? So there's a story I always tell, and it's in the book about Mariano Rivera. And I asked him one time, I said, Mariano, how do you do it? I was at his house in Westchester in the basement stretching him. And I said, I've been watching you since 1995. How do you get things done in the biggest of situations? And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. He says, you see, I'm in control. I control what I hear and I control what I see. And I said, well, what about the big situations? And he said, there are no big situations. Every situation is the same. We determine the size of a situation. If we think something's going to be big, it's going to be big. So if we look at a crisis situation as a big crisis, it's going to be a big crisis and it's going to affect your physiology. So the never get too high, never get too low, that's probably my favorite lesson in the book. How? Oh, so it's so interesting because when I look back on the difficult things in my life, the, it's almost like I blew out of proportion the actual task. Yeah. And the things that were effortless, even though they were difficult, the perception of them being effortless. Like, how do you recognize when you're going through a different emotional state? And I, and I ask that because, you know, let's say that you're in a championship game and you need to be able to calm the nerves to think clearly and to execute you know there's such a close parallel to what we're experiencing right now with a global health crisis and a global economy where it's pressure but in a very different way so how do you cut through the noise the emotions so that you can think clearly and execute See, again, a lot of it comes to what you're seeing, right? We all have this, this set of lenses. What are we seeing through our lens? In times like this, a lot of people see opposition, where you can literally train yourself to see the opportunity. There's a lot of talk today about, we'll say the word gratitude, right? Everyone says, you have to have gratitude, you should have a gratitude journal and all that. What that's doing is it's simply training you to see the good when you are conditioned to often see the bad. So the difference between a high performer and a low performer is simple. They see a time like this and say, there's going to be tremendous opportunity. I may not know what that opportunity is just at at this moment. I even may be losing a little bit right now. But this moment in time is going to give me an opportunity that I may not have again the rest of my career. So I need to trust my guts. I need to trust my instincts. And I have to be very aware of what's going on but I have to see it through the lens of opportunity. I'm going to watch what the markets do. I'm going to see what companies are going to go out of business that I may be able to buy at a discount. You know, I may want to take advantage of some of the real estate that's going to come available as a result of people not being able to pay. 
So there's people that are seeing that opportunity. It's like at the end of a game, you know, when the bases are loaded, you get two outs and it's a tie game or, or you're down by a run. A player, there's players that literally get in the box and are scared. They don't want, they do not want to be up in that situation, even at the highest level. But then there's those players like a Jeter, like a Michael Jordan, that they want the ball. They want the ball. Like they, they're pissed if they don't get the ball. And Do you think that that's DNA or that it's a conditioned state of mind? You're like, okay, I might be at this very negative state, but mm. I'm going to keep on reframing, you know, for example, like a gratitude journal or just changing the lens through which you're doing it. And then after week after week after week, you eventually develop that switch your mentality. Yeah, I think, I think it could be acquired. Now I, now, I believe there's people that are hardwired like that, but what I find can help sort of bring that out in you is the challenges in which you face along the way. There's a chapter on my book that says, do you hate to win or love to lose? Do you, love, do you mm. love to win or hate to lose, right? So people that have that hate to lose mentality, they're competitors. Everyone wants to win, it's nice to win. But that hate to lose mentality, it, it's your inner competitor, it's your junkyard dog, it's that street fighter that you have to bring out when you're in competition. And right now, we're in competition mode. But we can't look at competition as, I'm going to get tight, I'm going to get tense, I'm going to contract, I'm going to play defense to protect myself, right? I'm going to think about the opportunities that I see. I'm going to play offense in this moment. I'm going to expand instead of contract. And that's just a conditioning as to how you talk to yourself. And like you said, reframe. What am I seeing in front of me? If I think about all the clientele I'm going to lose right now, or you know, how people aren't going to be in a spending mode, because, well, there's, there's so many other things. They're focused on protect. No, 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 no. I have to eliminate that. And I bulldog right through that. So we have to catch ourselves. And the best coach you could have is yourself. Because you know when you're starting to get passive, you're starting to sit back, you're starting to contract, you're getting that weak posture. I tell people, listen, you want to change your life? Stand up tall. Pull your shoulders back and get confident within yourself just by changing that physiology within you. Is there a time when you look back maybe at a particular player like Jeter or the team as a whole when just the overall emotional state or the morale was low or not high performing and maybe with that principle that you shared kind of how the team or a player got through that? So in 2009, there was a meeting that we had in Atlanta. Brian Cashman, the GM for the New York Yankees, called us together. We were a good team. We were playing like crap. We couldn't buy a win if we wanted to. He calls a meeting, all the coaches, all the players, and said one thing, you guys are better than this. That's what he said. And he said it over and over and over again and ended the meeting. And it woke guys up to say, you know what? I'm not doing the fundamental things that I need to be doing right now. We're saying, hey, you know what? We're good. You know, we're all right. You know, we were telling ourselves things like, we'll get through this, but we weren't matching our action and our words, right? We'll get through it. It's a very, when we get there, like we're getting through it now. That meeting said now. And together, everyone came together and committed and we played the way we were supposed to be playing. We were playing like a team that wanted to win and wouldn't stand for anything less. So even right now, you may be experiencing some loss, but when are you going to have a meeting with yourself, with your team, and say, okay, it's stopping right now. 
And we're going to do little things every day to get a little win. No matter how small the win, we're going to get a little win today and a little win tomorrow. And those wins lead to momentum. And success is definitely a momentum game. Sales is a momentum game. And, and that's, that's it all has to do with how you coach yourself. I can't tell you how many people I work with that get so down on themselves. They lose a buck and you think they lose a million. You know, they lose a million, you think it's a hundred million because they just can't deal with the loss. And they hate to lose and they think, they think of themselves as losers. And it's like, guys, you're not losers. You have to lose at times in order to win. I was sitting with Mariano a couple of months ago at his house and he said, do me a favor. Every time you speak to a group of people, share this lesson with them for me. He said, you got to tell people that losing is a part of the game. Failure is a part of every game. And if you don't lose and you don't fail, it's very hard to have success. But you have to understand that. No player bats a thousand. There are no perfect hitters. There are no perfect pitchers. There are no perfect traders. There are no perfect deals where every deal you're going to do is going to be perfect. You have to understand the rules of the game in which you play. And that, when, once you understand that, you match that with the right mentality and the right program and the right day-to-day fundamentals. That's how you go and become unstoppable. How do you define the characteristics of a champion, the characteristics of a high performer? The, the one word that I use is consistency. They're extremely consistent and they're very comfortable executing on a day-to-day process that is not sexy, it's not flashy, it's not even exciting. Actually, I always tell people success is very boring. When you watch the best of the best, they are just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. But they do that better than everybody else. And they, what they're doing, they, they find a huge return on what they're doing. So I say there's too many people that caught up, get caught up in these energy draining activities, which I call EDAs, and they're not focused enough on their IPAs, which it's not beer, it's income producing <laughs> activities. So a workout, right, is an income producing activity. You train, you get your body in the best possible shape, you get a huge return on your energy. Same thing when it comes to what you put in your mouth, same, boom, you're getting a return in your energy. Now you got to look at every other thing that you do during your day. When you time map your day and you say, what am I doing during my day? What are you doing that's an energy drainer and what are you doing that's an income producer? And you'll see people on your team right away. It'll help you decide on your team. This person helps me produce income. This person doesn't. So you have to totally look at everything in front of you from that lens And again, it'll help you make great decisions. Who do I want on my team? Who's helping me win? Who's not? How do people, or maybe I, how do I get more disciplined on a consistent basis? Hmm. So I'll do things very intensely in a short time frame. Like last year, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon next week. And I did it. It was like eight days of preparation. Cool. Or I did like, I have a 10,000 push-up goal. Cool. But my goal was a hundred thousand and I just like dropped off. And so the discipline has always been an issue for me. Like what can I do? I know one idea is have an accountability partner. So I can't escape the someone who calls you out, but what are some of the things that you found in 
all the players that you've worked with because they probably go through slumps and where discipline fails. So how, what are the discipline strategies and tactics of high performers and champions? Well, the, the, the nice thing that our players have is they have coaches, right? So we coach these guys to keep them and hold them accountable. We also do something very special for them and that's monitor their volume. So if a player says, Hey, I want to run a marathon next week, it's not that we would always say, unless it's during the season, hey, you can't run the marathon, but what are we going to do after that marathon? What's everything going to look like? So somebody like you, for instance, we'll use you as the example. You know, you'd say, that's who you are, man. You're, you're a blood and guts kind of guy, much like, you know, Dan Lee, who you interviewed yeah. from Best. It's, it's all or nothing. You're all in. And when you're in, you're unstoppable. But when you go all in, you have to understand there is a huge energy expenditure that goes into it because you put every piece of your being into this thing and then once it's over you're like okay what's what's the next thing i have to do and you sort of go right back into your life but your life is a high competition life you're you're a hungry type a guy you're you're someone that's always trying to figure out ways to go to the next level so your re-entry into this normal life you're basically going from marathon to another marathon and and that is very draining. So what I find with a lot of the individuals that I work with, they're competitive, they're high achievers, but they don't understand how to lay out a schedule and look at the macro and look at the micro and talk about what it is they want to achieve. So they always take on too much and they reach a capacity and then they actually are tired and that's why they feel like they lack discipline. Because it's like, oh, I got to do that workout. I have to do this. I have, and they don't do it. And it's just because they're tired. They'll never acknowledge it. But the fatigue sets in on a high performer and just makes them less consistent. And that's all it is. So for somebody like you, when you say I'm not disciplined, I would so beg to differ. I bet you most of your life is very disciplined. But when you get tired, it shows up in that you don't want to do certain things. Yeah, I'll literally have my list on my whiteboard. Like the, it's called the critical few. And guess yeah. what I don't do? The critical few. Guess what I do do? All the low energy, low intellectual activities. Exactly. I'll do those first. Yep. You're, and you're doing that because your brain is so smart. It can sort things innately so quickly. So you look at these things and you say, hey, that's, that's the easy stuff. I could sort of coast through that. But to do those critical things – it's going to require more of you and you may not have that right now. So I also tell people, listen, if you don't have it right now, give yourself a pass. Can you take a few days off and that'll help recharge you? And for some people that often does not work. It's just, they're so charged. I'm in like seven days a week. I, I, my, my night shift, it starts at 9 PM until 2 AM. And that's been for the past four to six weeks during this, you know, put the kids to bed and you do the entrepreneur shift. Yeah. But I think what I'm maybe getting from this is like you have this book, you know, off days are off days. Yeah, and it's exactly. so hard as an entrepreneur, like, you know, an off day means it means I only work eight hours. <laughs> so, well, an off day could also mean do those, those low hanging activities, right. That don't require a lot of brain power, you know, and that's okay. That could be a, a functioning active off day for you so some people think off is like totally off i don't know any entrepreneurs or you know these high horsepower people that could literally just turn it off i'm yet to meet one i've coached hundreds of them and i haven't met any of them 
but I really like that point and that maybe on the off day or off hours, whatever that is, doing these things that still are feel productive, but are just less demanding on your bandwidth and, and intellect so that you can save that reserve and build up the batteries so you can spend it on the, the critical few things. Yep. And there's a second part to that too. Each of us, we're a certain type of person, right? There's people that are morning people and there's people that are night people. So we each have our, our peak hours of performance. So those big critical objectives, you have to say to yourself, hey, am I better at night or am I better in the morning? Whenever you're best, that's when you need to schedule doing those things. And it may not be the whole thing. It may just be a piece of it. But over the course of the week, right, if you say, hey, my peak hours are between 9 and 12, and you spend between 9 and 12, Monday through Friday, on that activity, use lunch as sort of like your halftime. And you say, hey, I'm pulling out, and then I can go my, do my, my sort of less intellectually challenging activities later. So it's, it's just learning how you work and sort of taking off the pressure and saying, hey, uh, I'm failing because I don't do these three things, I'm failing, or I'm not getting this done. And there's a lot of people that see it like that, or they start to say, why aren't I getting this done? And it's like, you're tired, and you're scheduling yourself poorly. That's I it. Think that, I think that's really interesting, because it's easy to confuse when you are feeling bad, unproductive, or in a slump. Easy to confuse, like, am I still passionate about this? Yeah. And it's actually the, it sounds like one of the root causes of it is, no, you haven't got any sleep or you're not actually giving your body a chance to recuperate yeah or you haven't just turned or you haven't found a way to almost distract your mind on something else so it's like you know you talk to again a lot of high performers hey what do you do for fun you know some people say oh i go to happy hour and i drink and that's the only time that they sort of take their brain and switch it but like what are some fun things hey do you play music what do you do for entertainment like you have to turn the analytical side of your brain off because that's so natural Mm. But you have to turn it off by focusing on the other side. Like art will turn off the analytics, whether it's music, whether it's drawing, anything. So there's things that we can do. But again, the classic high performer puts so much pressure on themselves. And that's what I do. I spend a lot of time coaching people out of that mindset safely to where they realize that they could still be a very high performer, probably even higher than they are now, but, but also have time to do other things in their life. Well, this has been a tremendously helpful discussion. And I hope that, you know, some of the stuff that I'm going through uh, and during this time, during quarantine and with the family, I, I feel like a lot of others are probably going through some shape and size of what I am. So I appreciate you spending the time with us and diving into the habits of a champion and I just really appreciate you doing this. And so, y'all, um, if you haven't seen this, Habits of a Champion, get it online and go to danacavalea.com for more information. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jordan.